Brothers and sisters, young people, kids, we have come to uh, a very important moment now. They're all important, I know, but a strategic moment because this is really the beginning of these judgments that God is unleashing upon the world. So we have seen how the opening chapter focuses on heaven. It focuses our attention on the one who is the exalted son of God. We see how the focus shifts to the earth where the seven churches are uh, mentioned and uh, encouraged to be faithful till the end. Uh, and then we looked into chapters uh, four and five um, where um, the focus is um, back on uh, up, up above in the, the heavens and in fact into the heavenly throne room and uh, from there are going to be issued these uh, judgments that unfold between uh, chapters uh, particularly uh, 6 and 16 um, and even into 18 you could say. Um, what we need to remember is that these are preliminary in nature. So uh, these are uh, judgments that uh, from my perspective of understanding eschatology uh, within the Reformed tradition, I would say, and that is that these are messages that are uh, given to us in those various chapters, um, and uh, they repeat the same message. So it's a message that's not just for those who lived, you know, 1,500 years ago, and then there's a message, if you really interpret it correctly and have the intellect to do that, uh, that is for 1,200 and 1,400, and slowly but surely we come to the end of the line, uh, these are messages for the entire church because they are messages that apply to the entire church because the entire church of Jesus Christ since the ascension of our Lord into heaven until the day he comes again and makes all things new and we call it also the last day, it's the day of judgment. In that whole history we see how the Lord is uh, disciplining the nations. He is blessing his people by preserving his elect but they live in a uh, a, a, a world of conflict uh, so that um, every child of God who ever lived until up to a day uh, has gotten, uh, has received comfort from the book of Revelation that the lamb is standing before the throne. He is our savior and redeemer. He is the one who was slain, but he is living. He is standing. He is victorious. And you stand as his people in that victory. And no matter what happens, whether we are killed as the saints are described here in this text or we live our lives and we die a natural death and are so ushered into God's presence, the fact remains that that is all due to God's grace and grace alone that we are standing in the Lord's presence someday in glory. Um, but uh, this uh, big chunk, the largest chunk of the book of Revelation is then in fact about those judgments that are mentioned and they come in three cycles don't they? they we have the seals we have the, the the trumpets the seven trumpets and the seven bowls that are all describing judgment disciplinary judgment on the nations on the wicked uh, in the nations who are in a state of perpetual unbelief uh, and who will continue to be in that state of unbelief unless the Lord has mercy on us and on them and calls them to repentance. He calls them to repentance and they in fact repent and believe. So I want to um, look at the theme of the Lamb's judgments 
of this world on this world are the beginning of the end. I don't want you to take that the beginning of the end in a negative way, because I think we are approaching that as Christians. Uh, I would like to encourage you to think of that positively. Uh, this is the beginning of the end because when these judgments begin, we know that the process is being set in motion uh, irreversibly. And so what is happening from, from, from seal to seal, uh, from, from, from outpouring of judgments via the, the bulls uh, or the trumpets, um, they are leading to the inevitable. And for the Christian, the inevitable is that our Christian hope realized uh, when we see the Lord uh, in his glory and the return of, of, of the Lord is, is now, uh, uh, when it comes um, at the end. So first of all, um, uh, some thoughts about uh, the first portion, verses 1 through 8, the judgments. Uh, these judgments prepare. They are preliminary. They are not the final judgment, but they are leading up to the final judgment in the end. Um, so for what are they preparing us? Well, for what are they preparing the nations for that last day? Um, and um, we mentioned already that the Lamb uh, has uh, been given authority. He is commissioned to uh, be the one who takes the scroll from the, from the hand of him who sits on the throne. That's, uh, that's, that's our God, our, our God, uh, the Father, I would say, more specifically. And so the Lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Lamb receives from the Father that book that contains the will of God for the, um, a, for, the, for the nations and for the church among the nations leading up to the return of Christ. And so the Lamb is the one who is deemed uh, um, qualified uh, by the Lord. None in all creation was found qualified. He comes, he stands before God. He is allowed to be in God's presence because he is God. And he has perfectly done the will of God. So he is qualified, and we take great encouragement from that, that there is one, and we only need one. We only need Jesus. We don't need anybody else in this world to be our comforter and our, our savior and our redeemer. There is no other savior by which we shall be saved. And so the Lamb of God, Lamb, gentlest of all animals, is the Lamb who brings the wrath of God to the nations. And so the Lamb of God stands, receives, and executes. And the first, and this execution takes place in this visionary imagery of these horses and their riders. Now, I have a bunch of commentaries, and there are many more, and I don't need any more. <laughs> I'm ready to part with half of them. Uh, because there are so many conflicts among commentators about this means this and this means that and so forth. Um, but um, the first one is, of course, you know, from an interpretive point of view, probably the most contested or controversial, and that is um, the one who is um, riding on the white horse, right? It says that, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And so commentaries are saying, okay, who is this? And uh, doesn't uh, chapter 19, 11 and following talk about a white horse and its rider? That's it. It's Jesus. It's the gospel. 
Gordon Ladd, for example, takes this to refer to the gospel being conquering uh, throughout the ages. And, you know, I want to sort of give a cautionary comment here, and that is that these people who I have consulted, they're not the dumbest. Now, these are established, uh, reputable commentators who are godly, who take his word seriously, and they come to different interpretations. My interpretation is that it does not refer to Christ. It does not refer to the gospel directly, maybe indirectly. But it does not refer to Christ in particular because I see these four horses and their riders in the context of judgment. And so when there is this judgment that is being placed upon the nations of the earth, then there is that sort of united theme of God via these four horses and their riders doing God's justice. When we think about Christ and the gospel in this time of grace, we think about it in a positive way, don't we? We think about um, the gospel going forth, uh, Jesus being proclaimed, people, men and women, uh, children coming to faith in Christ. We think about evangelistic campaigns and, um, and so forth, and people just uh, coming to faith, and what a wonderful thing that is. But it just seems that that would be um, out of alignment when the white horse is so positive and the black horse or the red horse and the black horse and the, and the greenish yellow pale horse are all in that specific context of warfare, of destruction, of uh, discipline and suffering that uh, befalls as a result of what they are commissioned to do. So it just seems to me that the white horse and its rider are doing the same thing in their capacity. And white is such a beautiful color, of course, because we think about uh, uh, white as the forgiveness of our sins, like the snow color, the, the color of snow, whiteness, purity, and so forth. But I believe that those commentators are correct who suggest that the color of white also refers to victory. And so here we can say that the victory of the Lord is assured. It is guaranteed by the one who stands before the throne of God and receives his instruction from the Lord to do his bidding. And so this one who rides the white horse is the one who is given the bow and the crown. Um, and with that, uh, God's will is executed upon the nations and God's justice is being accomplished, be it in a preliminary way, um, in a limited way, uh, but it is accomplished and nothing can withstand it. So in that sense, there is victory here uh, that is being accomplished through the, hoarder, the, the rider uh, on the white horse. Um, there have been those who say, no, this refers to the Parthians. Parthians were an ancient people who were masters in bow, uh, bow hunting, bow shooting. Uh, within the context of warfare. Um, but again, uh, that's a nice historical allusion, uh, but it is probably not um, what, this is, what, 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 the, what, what John has in mind for us to uh, associate that with, with those people who overcame a Roman uh, portion of the Roman army at one time. The red horse. Um, the red horse is, children, it's kind of strange. Have you ever seen a red horse? No. No, you've seen a black horse, 
Yes. And a white horse, maybe? Yes. You've seen a horse? What kind of horse? What color? Brown. You're ruining my sermon. Uh, <laughs> so there are no green horses. <laughs> so I'll never do that again. <laughs> there's a red horse here. And um, there's no <laughs> Stop laughing. Um, so the red horse is mentioned next. Another horse, bright red even. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. So just my, it's sort of confirming my point. If you think about Christ and his glorious victory, and he goes through you know, the, the crusade of evangelizing the nations, and they all come to faith, and then suddenly we have the second horse who does this, right? It seems just incongruous, if I may use that word. So these, uh, the, the horse and its rider, they, they take the peace from the earth so that the people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Um, removal of peace doesn't mean that everywhere in the world at the same time uh, the peace is removed from all people, um, but it certainly does refer to the fact that we live in a world and we are uh, pretty much uh, familiar with about 20 centuries of world history in the Christian era uh, of um, uh, peace being removed from nations and what that results in um, when there is uh, uh, a war like the one that's going on in the Ukraine right now. Um, uh, we just see numbers that are unbelievable. We may not trust all the numbers we hear about, but you know, at some point you have to say it's fairly, you know, it's an approximation of what is accurate. Um, um, na the peace of the nations is removed uh, from, 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 from nations around the world throughout its history. Uh, but what caught my attention is that, they, that it says, and the people will turn on one another. So maybe here it's not so much a war going on as we uh, rather see that there is that kind of violence in societies uh, by which people turn on one another. Um, we uh, can go back to the Greco-Roman world, uh, the Spartans, for example, who were notoriously violent, um, including towards uh, unborn. Uh, the whole history of uh, abortion, of course, uh, can be uh, uh, recounted, and, 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 and one black page is right in that history. Uh, but we also see it in our own history, of course. Uh, but beyond that particular topic, I think in our own society and context, we see that people turn on one another. Uh, all the strange um, uh, mass shootings that we see in uh, theaters and, 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 and uh, um, other locations uh, where people just start shooting, uh, and we have these mass shootings, um, they, uh, they, they, it makes you wonder what, what is going on here. Is there a possibility, at least, of something diabolic? Uh, is this induced not just by you know, a person who has had a, b a poor upbringing or trouble in his marriage or what have you, but um, uh, just there's more to it than uh, what uh, the media uh, presents to us? I don't know. I'll, I'll be honest about that. But there is that uh, um, evidence um, 
pretty readily available that um, people turn on one another. And the Bible tells us, of course, in the book of uh, Matthew 24, uh, where um, people will think that they do uh, God a service, uh, that they think they are doing the right thing by killing family members. Um, uh, so that kind of age of violence um, that uh, is described and hinted at uh, is something that I think the church today can fairly readily identify with that. And then there is the third horse, the black horse. Um, the black horse is mentioned. And, uh, and look, there was a black horse, excuse me, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil or wine. Um, black horses are beautiful, right? But in this context, black is not too positive. Um, black is associated with plague, with hunger, death. Uh, the bubonic plague, 13, uh, 1349. We refer to it as the Black Death. Half of the citizens of London died. It was the most fatal pandemic recorded in all of human history. Between 1347 and 51, 30 to 60% of all Europeans died from the bubonic plague was mentioned in one of the references I consulted. That translates into the possibility of between 75 and 200 million people. That's just in Europe. When you look at the map, interestingly, it sort of suddenly stops in the middle of Norway, Sweden. And I thought, well, why is that? I thought maybe it's just because of the climate. It just gets too cold up there and maybe the bacteria uh, that are transmitted uh, and that create this plague uh, would just stop being uh, able to do all that damage. I don't know. But when we see these numbers here of those who perished, uh, you begin to uh, think of an illustration like this and say, yeah, uh, that's not just exaggeration. It's not hyperbole. Uh, it is what God wills and purposes, though we cannot comprehend it, in, in, in human history. And what happens when there is warfare, when there is civil strife, um, civil war, uh, you have price inflation. We see that right now. Um, I have to think, uh, as I read this particular portion of the text, I, I have to think of the inflation that we are uh, familiar with a bit uh, in terms of the eggs, right? Thank you, Mary, for the eggs that you bring every Sunday. <laughs> yeah, there's some more. Don't fight over them. And don't throw eggs either. Um, so the eggs have gone from what? Uh, 18 eggs, $4 to, 19, uh, to $9. Um, you know, uh, very strange inflation. And, and you don't really think of it. You know, most of us say, well, you know, I wish they were lower, but you, know, you, you live with it. Um, but it's, it's kind of an example of, in a other context that is much more serious, tells you that you uh, are going to find it pretty hard to survive. The text suggests that a person who makes a daily wage spends it all on 
the uh, staple that he or she needs for that day. So a denarius was typically the equivalent of what a day laborer made. So if the day laborer has the day laborer personally um, buys what that buys, um, a quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley. Barley was a less expensive food uh, in those days, uh, less nutritious, uh, perhaps, and um, then that's all he could afford. And so there would be nothing else that he could pay for, no bills to pay, no gas in the car, no insurance, uh, whatever uh, in today's terms, um, let alone taking care of his family if he had one. So the people who are experiencing this in history are really up against the wall. What now? Um, and it is by God's purpose that the wicked in the world, those who live in that state of unbelief, who reject God's mercy and grace and love for them, uh, would come to realization and say, what am I doing? I need to repent of my sins and I need to flee to him who offers grace to me, a sinner. Then there's the fourth horse, the, the pale horse. Uh, some of the comments I made just a moment ago about the incalculable numbers of people who have perished in history uh, due to all kinds of causes like the plague uh, could be applied to this portion as well. But the pale horse is, um, if you saw it, not a very pretty horse. Uh, it's... Um, Dr. Johnson would uh, immediately recognize the, the, the picture here of gangrene. Uh, if a person has gangrene, have you ever seen a person whose, uh, whose, whose foot or toes are to be uh, about to be amputated? I have seen those in the, in the skilled nursing facility where I worked. Uh, it is a very ugly picture. Uh, it is, it is just, just death staring you in your face. And if that's just a portion of the foot, you say, okay, you know, uh, get rid of it, and uh, you continue to live, hopefully. But uh, uh, if that just uh, finds its way throughout the system, you know, the person will die. And I don't know how long it takes uh, before a person uh, uh, without treatment uh, would be able to survive. But uh, the picture here is of this pale horse, yellowish-greenish. It's ugly. It's death-staring in the face. And uh, this horse... Um, uh, is, uh, uh, n is given a name. All the other ones don't have a name, really. But this one has a name. It's called Death and his companion. I think it's two riders on one horse, Death and Hades. Don't take my words too literally. But uh, Death and Hades are mentioned in, in one breath, you could say. And so its rider's name was Death and Hades followed him, it says. And they were... Those two were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and famine, with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. And so here is another outpouring of God's judgment uh, on the nations. Um, and I would say that there is a kind of uh, um, a climaxing, as it were, going on from the first horse now to the last horse, this, this, this very greenish, yellowish, uh, pale horse, uh, that uh, it comes to the culmination point where uh, a fourth of the earth are killed with sword and famine and pestilence and the wild beasts of the earth. Um, beyond this point, you could say there's, there's no life, there's no hope. Um, 
it is limited because one-fourth are mentioned. Um, but uh, nevertheless, um, it, is, uh, it is devastating, isn't it? When death comes, it is devastating. We know from experience, those of us who have loved lost, lost loved ones, uh, death is irreversible. Uh, you lose that person, you bury that person, and they're not coming back, usually. Um, and so these two are given authority, it says. And that's kind of a small detail, but remember, all of these four writers were given authority. So it means that they don't have any sovereignty about that authority. It is a delegated authority. It is not theirs. It is given to them to, uh, to execute God's will, but none of these have of themselves the authority to do what they are called to do. It is coming always from God that this authority comes to them. Um, and so that word um, in the Greek language, I don't want to you know, confuse things too much uh, mentioning that, but the word for power and authority is very important. Um, the word is exousia, and uh, that is, an, uh, is, a, uh, is one of the words that could be used for the word power or authority, um, but it is used specifically in the New Testament to point out always that it is God's authority. And so this is a unique authority. It's not the mayor of this town's authority. It's not the governor's authority. It's not your authority as a parent over your children. But this is the sovereign God's authority that he delegates and by which his will is accomplished in this world among all the nations and throughout its history. And so those are the four, uh, four, four uh, horses and their riders. These are given uh, judgments to execute that prepare for the final execution of the judgment that is final in the day of the Lord at the end. And then we come to uh, the pr saint's prayer that is mentioned in verses uh, 9 through 14. Uh, when I opened, those are the fifth and the sixth seals, by the way. Um, and so we see immediately that vision of John's where he said, And I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. And then they cry out this prayer that some commentators say, Well, this is not a Christian prayer, is it? Look what they cry out for. They say, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Is that the prayer of a Christian? Shouldn't the prayer of a Christian be, Lord, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing when they are about to execute you? And so commentators have said, this is kind of strange. But um, I think some of those well-intending commentators maybe lost for a moment sight of the fact that there are no contradictions in Scripture, right? Uh, the Word of God is one. And um, so th there has to be another meaning here. There has to be another interpretation here. And it is my understanding then that this prayer that sounds a little bit strange maybe to your ears, it is the prayer of the saints who are not so much saying, Lord, look what they did to us. And will you now go out and uh, revenge our deaths? But it is the saints did what they did, not for their sakes. They died for the sake of the gospel. And in the process of being witnesses and defenders of the gospel, they, they incurred that, 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 that 
violent death. But the perspective of the Christian living in this world, whether we die as martyrs or not, is that all that we do, we do for the glory of God. And we are concerned not so much with our justice. Lord, I'm a sinner. You've forgiven me everything. I don't claim any rights or uh, anything like that. Lord, it's all good. But it is about you. Because when the righteous are slain, it is an offense against their God. And so the saints who are under the altar, it says in this, in this vision, they are the saints who are crying for the Lord to obtain his justice when he executes justice on the wicked who have suffered, uh, caused the suffering of God's precious children throughout the ages, but including in our, in, in our own uh, day and age. More Christians have died for the faith in the last hundred years, I've read, and you probably have too, than in all the 1900 years prior. So there is certainly an intensification happening in the world where we anticipate as God's people that living in this world will become increasingly more difficult uh, and challenging for the Christian church. I need to move on and uh, leave uh, some of these things unsaid that I had in mind sharing with you. Um, but um, when you read about the sixth seal, you see how the whole universe um, gets you know, involved in the judgments of God. There was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. Um, any of you are familiar with fig trees? Just curious. No? We are. <laughs> in California, you have fig trees. And I've noticed in my mother-in-law's uh, backyard, there's a fig tree. And um, you, know, you, you, you pluck the, 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 the figs that are ripe. Um, but um, there's always a few that stay behind. Um, and they shrivel up. And uh, it doesn't take much for the fall storm winds to come through. And those remainders are just simply blown off. Or can be. Not all of them. But this imagery comes to mind that, yes, this is what happens in nature. Uh, fig trees are, 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 are gentle figs, uh, are gent gentle fruit, uh, and they can uh, uh, just be uh, shaken off the tree rather easily when, when that happens in nature. Well, so it is with um, uh, the time in which God sends his judgments on this earth um, and... Um, uh, uh, yeah, and nothing can resist it. Uh, that's really the, the imagery there. And then I want to take you to the last point, and that is um, we've seen the judgments prepare for the final judgment. The saint's prayer uh, is that God's justice will be accomplished, and then the wicked's despair, because that's really what it all kind of ends with. Uh, uh, not kind of. It very much ends on that note of despair, doesn't it? Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Who are these that are um, referred to? Well, in verse 10, they are referred to as them that live on the earth. Um, and uh, that is then repeated uh, in, uh, in our portion as well. Um, 
those who, who, who live on, uh, on this earth, they are they're referred to as those who are not covered by the protection that the Lamb of Wrath in his justice and judgment uh, places upon the wicked. Um, the his blood is not uh, shielding them. Um, and so there's no place to hide. Um, and the wicked who are faced with their finite uh, uh, condition and they are faced with the presence of God very confrontationally staring them in the face. Um, what other response can there be unless you know Jesus, unless you hide yourself in the rock that is Jesus Christ and his righteousness? Where can you hide um, from the face of God? And so in the day of judgment, the wicked are just uh, uh, realizing their, 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 their conscience is frozen in time. They don't have the opportunity, it seems like, to repent. They can just conclude that what they knew deep down in their souls is true after all. And so we have them who are calling for the mountains to fall on them rather than face God's presence. They think that death is an escape. What an illusion. To those who say, I don't believe in God. I don't need God. I don't think there is a God. When I die, that's it. And there's nothing else. God's word warns us this morning, think again. Therefore, there's still time. That's why I titled the sermon positively, uh, Hide Yourself in Christ. Because he is the only one from whom you can be protected, through whom you can be protected from the judgment of God that is yours and mine, unless it is removed from us. And the Lamb is perfectly equipped to do that for you. So place your trust, your full trust, in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation now at quarter after 11 and forever. You don't know if you have time if you're not in Christ. You don't know if you have a mar massive heart attack. You don't know if there will be a fatal car accident two hours from now. I don't try to make you, you know, uh, emotionally upset or anything, but these are the realities of life. There are those who meet, we meet on the streets. One more dose. It can be the overdose. And it's final. When you meet folks on the streets who are in a state of mind by which they can no longer repent, The door is closed already. And it's only God's grace that can save a sinner, whether we're on the street or not. We're all going to face the Lamb of God. Philippians 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. And amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word that warns us.
to hiding Christ. He is our only hiding place. He is the rock of our salvation. And when the trials come and the difficulties of life come, uh, the perplexities, um, the wars and famines and the sicknesses come, um, Lord, you are our security. You are our protection. You are our shield. And we trust in you completely, Lord. Help us, Lord, to not lose sight of the fact that the one who stands before you, the Lamb of God, is victorious himself. And his victory is ours by faith now, as we'll enjoy it in its fullness. Then we shall see him face to face, and you in all your glory and majesty. Hear our prayer, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.